Hey guys, it's Coach P here. Really excited about this episode. We have on the amazing, talented Obi Iris, who's a cartoonist, author, director, and artist who is really blowing up right now. Just wanted to give you guys a quick heads up about this episode. Obi's actually located in California, so we did this episode via Skype as he graciously decided to come on to the show. And again, really excited about it, but wanted to give you guys a heads up that the quality of the sound isn't what we've come accustomed to, and we're actually working on finding new ways to continue to bring you great guests, great content, but with that same level of quality. But I hope you guys really enjoy this episode and can't wait to hear what you guys think. tuning in to Unapologetically Different Podcast. This is Season 8, Episode 60. I'm your co-host, Pete. And I'm your co-host, Coach P. We're really excited about today's show. We are so honored to have this guest on today. He's an artist, author, director, and co-host on the Greg and Obi Podcast. And we want to welcome to our fans and listeners, Obi. Welcome to the Woo! show. Welcome! I'm glad to be here. This, this is cool. It, it, was a lot, it was a lot of, you know, hiccups because of technology and my schedule, but I'm glad that we're able to finally, you know, unite as one. So this is going to be really dope. Yeah, I know exactly how that feels because I'm the, the, the tech guy on the team. It's just me and Key holding it down. Yes. So it could be a pain. So uh, we, we're here. We made it. So let's, let's get it. Yeah. So I'm going to just jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how that's influenced your career? Um, so I'm first generation Nigerian. Both my parents came straight from Nigeria. Oh, my boy Bimo and fell on me. Come on, Bimo, chill. Don't do that. Be cool. <laughs> anyway, so first generation Nigerian. Both my parents uh, came straight from Nigeria, and what was really dope is that I've been into art, you know, pretty much since I can even remember anything. You're right. Um, literally since like one, one, two years old. So. It's interesting as a first generation Nigerian with immigrant parents, you know how they're always like, we want you to go into, you know, being a doctor, being a lawyer, a, a physician, a pharmacist, engineer. They always do that kind of stuff, right? But for some reason, they really, really yeah. pushed into being an artist. Like they saw my creativity, saw my talent, and they were whatever they could do to help me explore their creativity. They were all for it. And I love them for it, for that. Um, I'm talking about through elementary school, middle school, high school, college, even afterwards, like now that I'm here and moved to LA, they're, they're the same way. And the fact that them being Nigerian and seeing how hard they've worked to get to where they are and to take care of me and my siblings, it instilled in me those same values to make sure that I keep grinding because if they're able to do it and they're able to do it with pretty much nothing, I should have no excuses to do it as well. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned the fact about the creativity. I'm like a really big proponent, especially with children, to really work on your creativity. As someone who I never thought I could have a creative side yeah. because it just wasn't there for me, I think 
everyone has that creative side. It's about yeah. Like our school systems have you sit down, staying in a chair, raise your hand, speak when spoken to, and that kind of hinders it. So I love that your parents were able to like foster that and help you really develop it because you're just making dope stuff now, and we love it for, for, for that. And I'm glad that you mentioned your parents in terms of them being your support system. I think that's very imperative. Do you think if they were not a part of your support system, you would have like swerved off in another career path? Well, I was always the black sheep of my family, so I would have went forward anyway. But yeah. them being my support system made things so much easier. Like, um, the reason why I feel like I'm here now in the position that I'm in is because of them. Like, I was able to quit my job and then move in with them, and my parents do very well. So I have my own space where, you know, I have almost like a mini apartment in their house. And they would only bother me if... They were like, hey, we want to get you breakfast. Do you want any breakfast? That's pretty much it. But they've had my back and they've made it so easy for me to do what I want to do. It's crazy. Like, I can't, I really can't thank them enough. Like, it's, they're like the best parents I've ever had. I mean, anyone can ever have. Like, they're that great of people. I, I can keep going on and on just talk about how great they are. But, like, they've really, really put me in a position um, to be successful. Speaking of your success, on your website, you have pre-order for your um, comic collection titled It Could Be Worse, which is very yeah. good. <laughs> what inspired the collection and what can readers expect when they purchase this item? Um, first of all, the books are now sold out. So I'm sorry no one else get the books. I've been asked to 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 reprint them, but it's not even a thing about money. It's, it's man, that was hell. Like that was probably the best learning experience I've gotten last year <laughs> was building these books when it came to taking orders, to shipping, um, to packaging, um, to putting the price value on it. Like, it drove me fucking crazy. And I, I was doing it myself and literally, this again, my parents came in, my parents were like, let us help you. So my parents, like I literally had my, my mom, my dad, my brother came over and his wife and my nephew who's four years old. And we were all just trying to package these books together because I think the next day I had to go to, I had to fly to, um, to Los Angeles a little before I moved here. And um, there was, I thought it was going to be done by myself. There was no way in hell I was going to do it. So the fact that they kept asking me, like, let us help you, let us help you, we're going to help you, we're going to help you. But um, anyway, with those books, it could be worse. Um, I actually wanted to do a comic strip. I would say back in maybe it was 2019, maybe like 2013, 2014, and it was titled "It Could Be Worse." I um, I already I graduated college with 2008. I was freelancing for for a long time as a graphic designer. Then I was trying to get into corporate America because I wanted a more steady paycheck. I wasn't able to get anything because I was doing freelancing, doing like club flyers and party flyers, and it wasn't resonating to get those kind of jobs. And so I was like, all right, no, let me start blogging. That'll get more attention towards my website, more more business towards me, give me more money. And one thing I was going to do was a comic strip called It Could Be Worse, kind of detailing the struggles of somebody who graduated college trying to make it in life now. And I, I, I drew, I cannot find this artwork anywhere. I swear I wish I could find it. But the first drawing had me sitting outside of a security um, office trying to get a job as a security guard and had Batman next to me and Batman had like a little briefcase on his knees and it was, and it said the recession's hitting everybody hard, right? And I was looking at Batman like, come on, like, really, like, you're a billionaire. And it was, it was that kind of stuff. And I had like all these other jokes and so I always wanted to do it. 
And then finally, I believe 2017, I quit my job, moved back with my parents. I was feeling down. I was broke. Um, I wasn't feeling independent anymore. A woman I was dating, that went to hell. Um, so everything's kind of hit me at once. Yeah. And I remember talking to my brother-in-law. I was like, you know, I always want to do this comic strip, maybe kind of, you know, making fun of myself. He's like, go ahead and do it. Like, it's not going to hurt. Like, what are people going to say? You're trying all these other things to get exposure. Just do it. And so it only became like therapy for me when I first dropped the comic strip about me going on a date, telling the girl that I quit my job to do cartoons and she ran off. Never happened, but I just wanted to do it. And it got so much exposure at that time, especially for, I think it probably had maybe like, at that time, maybe like 12,000 followers. And that was the most engagement I've got on any post, any drawing ever. And I'd say I'm gonna do it every Friday, every Friday, every Friday. So I kept it up for over a year and things just started rolling and getting bigger and bigger. So I thought, let me just go ahead and put all these comic strips to one collection, almost as a what commemorative um, piece of artwork for people to have in general. So that's really what the comic strip book is about. Well, I'm glad you spoke to the origin of it pertaining to you, like coming out of college, not finding work. I could definitely relate to that. Me I was too. through like a phase of depression because um, I'm not sure what you graduated from, but I graduated from Syracuse University and I thought I was on cloud nine, I should be able to get anything and did not work in my favor. So can you speak to like graduating and your presumption about the real world and actually going into it and how that affected you in your own way and other millennials too? We said graduating into the world. When you graduated from college and you realized that it was very difficult to find like a job of that nature and try to tap into what you want to do. What kind of dramatic effect did it have on you, especially in terms of depression, if it led to that? Okay, well, I graduated from a school called Lamar University, a small town in Texas outside of Houston. And they're not known for their art program. So if I went to anywhere and be like, hey, Lamar University on my resume, they'd be like, who the hell is this? We yeah. don't give a shit. Right? So as soon as I graduated, the first thing I was like, I don't think I'm able to get a full time job. So I ended up going to a club, and there's a really popular DJ in Houston named DJ High C. I saw him at the club and I went to him and said, hey, I'm a graphic designer. You know what I mean? I want to you know, kind of work with you. He was like, all right, cool, whatever. Gave me his number. And I was like, I don't think he was paying attention to it. So I went back to him again and I showed him a flyer, a party flyer that I did on my cell phone. And he was like, oh, man, you do graphics, you do this, this, this. Oh, take my number. And when I grabbed the number, I looked and it was a different phone number. I said, wait, this, this is so he has two numbers depending on who he's doing business with. And like literally like two days later, he was like, come to the office, boom, boom, boom. We're going to have you doing graphics with us. And, this is, and so that's how it really popped off. So I, I would say before that, I think it was like two, three days before that, like I remember graduating. I didn't, I didn't shower for like three days. I was in the same clothes for three days. And it's depressing because you're like, what do I do now? Like you're thinking that everything's supposed to come to you after you graduate. And you realize this is a false narrative. Like it's much harder than what we think it is. Like some people uh, have the opportunity, like some people have internships. I didn't have any of that. So I had to kind of make it on my own. And then I didn't know anybody around me who was doing what I was doing. Um, maybe like two people, but no one to coach me, nobody to recommend me to other places, no one to put in referrals for me. So it was almost like I had to do it myself to get myself out there and, and be successful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I like that. You just, you grinded, you put yourself out there and look where yeah. you're at now. So that's amazing. So you sell art, books, clothing, merchandise on your site. Can you just share some tips for some entrepreneurs out there about turning your passion into a paycheck? 
Yeah, absolutely. First of all, if you're not passionate about it, don't do it. Because, um, but I was working in corporate America. I was working for a Fortune 100 uh, oil and gas company. Houston is huge on oil and gas. And I'm a graduate rapid design because it was part of art. I always loved art, but um, I, I loved rapid design until I got into corporate America and it took my passion away. And the passion in my art started coming back. And so I decided to say, hey, I'm going to do art full time. And I think the hardest thing about being a creative, being an artist, when it comes to business, is that we don't have that function. Like, we're all about create, create, create. We don't want to think about money. Like, I hate doing paperwork. Like, I hate doing invoices. Like, I have like three invoices I'm supposed to send right now. And I just don't want to do it because I don't want to do paperwork. I just want to create. So, you have to either get somebody on your ass. Or you have to get to the point that you're just flat broke. And you see, and you, yeah, or you're just flat broke and you're like, I need to get this money. I need to do it. Other than that, you're never going to get paid. If you realize a lot of creatives, they find a satisfaction in getting the work done. They don't find a satisfaction in getting the money. They want the money only so they can continue doing their work. Um, so, yeah, so when it does come to trying to make it a paycheck, there are all sorts of avenues. There's everything you can do. I would say just find certain niches. And just hit at them, hit at them and see what's clicking, see what's working. Like when it comes to my clothing apparel, I have like two shirts. I have like prints, but I don't really push it because um, one, it's hard to find a company that really has the quality um, unless you're getting, unless you're doing it yourself, like T-shirts, unless you're actually buying the shirts, going to a company, getting it printed. And you have all this inventory, which is super expensive, especially for an artist uh, who doesn't really have the money. And then you have to go through having to ship it out yourself and keep track of it, right? Then you can go to one of those print-on-demand places like Printful. And that's what I use right now. But think about Printful, I'm not really a big fan of them because I don't think their quality is as good um, as getting it done yourself. And I don't want to sell anything that's not quality. So I don't really push a lot of my products. Um, that's just me. Like I'm, you, you can make money all sorts of ways. Like You can make money through consulting. You can make money through doing comic books children's books. I, I keep going on and on about what you can do and what I don't do. I don't know if you want me to talk about that or not um, to keep rambling, but definitely for sure, you just have to be passionate about what you're doing and then opportunities will open up for you. I don't go out and try to find work at all. All my work comes through referrals or people finding me through my social media pages. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you recently added director to your portfolio of work that you're yeah. doing. Um, and you basically resume with a short comedy film entitled The Interview. So yeah. for first off, congrats on that. That's a really big honor yeah, and very thought-provoking. So that's really cool. Um, can you please let us know what the experience was like in terms of you creating it and describe what the film meant to you? Yeah, oh man, this is awesome. I remember being at home and I get a message from producer of Oldbrook Entertainment and Oldbrook Entertainment is Will Smith's production company. And the guy, yeah, this was super dope. Yeah, and the guy's like, Hey, you know, we're doing this thing for Black History Month. Um, we want to know if you can come out here and uh, shoot the short video that we're working on with um, IGTV. I was like, hell yeah, what's, yeah, I'll do it. Like, kind of question. And so, so also, I was like, I was like, no, I do cartoons and comic strips. Like, what made y'all choose me? He was like, first of all, we're fans of your work. Like, and I was like, who's fans of my work? The Smith. <laughs> company? I said, oh shit. All right, so I'm already like on cloud nine. <laughs> Mama, <laughs> yeah. So I call I call him Uncle Will and Auntie Jada. Like I'm family now. Hopefully I can invite somebody's cookout, but I'm family. If I got sneak in, I'm sneaking in. So yes. Yeah. 
So, um, so they're like, we really like your humor with your comic strips and your cartoons, and we just want to bring you on, you know, so you can put your personality to this video. And I was like, sure. So I remember flying in um, and uh, going to the set the day before, and it was like, you no, know, this office building, really regular. And I was, you know, talking to them, we're going through the script, and I remember we're walking around the set, and I'm like trying to envision, you know, what, what scene they're going to shoot because shooting um, live action and doing comic strips is almost similar because you have to do storyboards, right? And so when you're doing comic strips, it's almost like you're doing storyboards to get the best layout, the best picture for whatever content it is, whether you no know, dialogue or action scene or whatever. So it's very similar when you're doing live action. You're, you're doing storyboards to make sure you get the best scene. And so I'm going through my head like, okay, we're going to do this. I'm writing our notes, right? And um, I remember they're like, all right, we need a beat sheet. I was like, what the hell is a beat sheet? <laughs> like, you can't create a beat sheet for us. And I was like, yeah, I got you. I remember I went home. I was like, what the fuck is a beat sheet? What is this? So I'm like researching. I'm like writing down stuff. I stay up to like three o'clock in the morning, like doing this beat sheet. And everything. And I remember I get to the set, be at the set like at like seven o'clock in the morning. And I get there and the set's like completely transformed. Like I I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like they have these desks, all these colors, this furniture, and they had like this camera crew. And I was like, this is a real deal. I don't think it's gonna be like when your homeboy's got like a, a was it DSL camera or what's it called again? Those DSLR. Yeah, those cameras. I don't think it's gonna be like somebody with that. No, I'm talking about they had like real deal like production cameras that were um uh and they had in the back where they had the TV screens, had the director's chair, we had the director of photography, we had all these people on crew and all this, all this lighting and stuff. I was like, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. And I remember going in the back and they're getting ready to shoot. Um and I'm in the director's chair looking at the video and they're like, all right, roll sound. I forgot whatever word they said. And then I'm just looking, like my headphones on, and they're like, Hobie, y'all say action. I say, wait, I say action? That's me? <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so, this is, all right, cool. And so, so I think from like the beginning, I was like, action? And they're like, yeah, I say it loud. I'm like, action, you know, that kind of stuff. And then by the end of it, I was like, hey, we gotta get this shot right. No, I want this person over here, and we gotta do this. Like, I was feeling like I was in my own. Um, but it was great, like working with like Lala Milan. I got cool with her. She's blowing up. She's super, super cool. Um, like she has the crazy, the best facial expressions. I kept saying like your facial expressions, use that to your advantage because they're they're awesome. Like Adam, the guy who played the boss, he was an incredible, like super funny. Like he created the whole hat. If you watch the video, he's the one who came up with the whole handshake thing. That was super dope. Um, Dulo, who was in the video, like that's somebody that I met before in the past. He's a super funny comedian. Um, and so I got him on the project. Um, and do you have, uh, what's her name? Um, Jenna. I think, uh, Jenna, uh, Jenna, she was dope. She was super cool. And the other girl's name is Lely, a Hispanic woman in there. And she's already doing stuff on TV. And she was amazing, like flawless pretty much. And so I got to find out like how to, how to work with actors and how to work with your crew and what to expect and what you need to do and the rules to follow. Um, almost like I was being thrown in there and came out with something else on my resume and, and more experience than I would have thought I would have had um, around this time on my way to success. Sweet. That's amazing. I just got to ask a quick question about that. 
Did yeah. you chest Obi on the back? No, I didn't. If, if, oh, if that showed up, you definitely saw the answer. I would have showed out and had that on the back for sure. Yeah. Next thing you need to make sure you. I need my name on the back of the chair. I'm not coming. I'm not coming. I'm not going to pull out. Yeah, diva yeah. like that. See, I'm a diva. My name starts going around Hollywood. Nobody wants to work with me. I need to get fit in right now. Like, let me let me take it one step at a time. Let me get in these doors first. I, I respect that. I feel you. Um, speaking to your artistic side, can you more talk about what it's like you being a part of a podcast and building a business relationship with your partner on the podcast? Man, so what sucks is that I don't think we, we're going to be able to do the podcast anymore because he's still in Houston. I'm in Los Angeles. And my um my my boy, he's my frat brother. You know what I mean? Like, I'm super tight with him. Um, and he's a really, really, really popular photographer out here, concert photographer. He gets flown. Greg Noir, if y'all don't know, look him up. Um, like, he was on the Challenge Gambino tour last year. He gets flown out to Coachella. He does um, uh, all these other, like, big time uh, music festivals. And so schedule is already hard working around that, his schedule, my schedule. Um, so now that I'm in Los Angeles, I don't think we'll be able to do it anymore, which sucks because we had a podcast, the first one called Antiheroes, and we was talking about like pop culture stuff. And it was like us being this ourselves and this funny topics and being as funny as hell and talking shit. And then the podcast we're starting called The Greg and Obi Show was going to be now that you know, he's at a, at a great level of success and I'm at a good level of success and we come together giving like behind the scenes stories and accounts to kind of inspire people and let them know what goes on behind the scenes, things that you wouldn't know about. Like we had a, one of our guests, one of our homegirls, and she's a rapper out of Houston and she signed a Beyonce's label and she was giving all this great information about how she came up how you know, she got with Beyonce's label, what she's doing now, the other people she, she works with, how she was in a room with Jay-Z and Pharrell, like stuff you would never hear unless like you're actually with somebody. And that was the premise of the, the podcast. But unfortunately, like we just never had time to keep shooting uh, and keep recording. I mean, so uh, hopefully we'll be able to do it again. I think it's a dope concept, but um, definitely that that helped me out and kind of learn how to talk with people when it comes to podcasts, how to interview, how to let my co-host, you know, him hold the reins. I don't have to always interject. I don't have to always try to be funny. I want to get my point across. It's about a natural flow where teams, chemistry. And I think that helps out a lot when you're trying to do business with other people as well. Yeah, that chemistry definitely makes a big difference. <laughs> so I'm really curious, who inspires you with everything that you're doing with your creative process and like you're connecting with all these amazing people like, who or what inspires you to keep on just grinding and just keep putting out great work? I would say when it comes to art, it's a lot of artists that I follow on Instagram. Um, like I follow, like I constantly follow new artists on Instagram and Twitter because I'm always trying to get better, always trying to get better, trying to see what other people are doing, their techniques, um, using those, incorporating them into my work. Um, so there's so many artists on Instagram. Like what's uh, old boy's name? His name is Ant. Piper is Ant Piper. He he does something called the Trill League. He's a black artist. And his work is like fucking phenomenal. Like I like looking at his work. I wish I knew the names of all these people who who follow me. I would definitely say the first person who inspired me to get back into art when social media was popping is a guy named Jake Parker. If you're an artist and you heard of Inktober, he created that movement. 
um, this huge movement and they have in October. I mean, every day of the month, you draw something new and you ink it to keep track of it. So that inspired me to get back into it. So on the, that's on the art side. Then when it comes to just trying to do what I'm doing, trying to be successful, it definitely goes to, I would say, young black creatives like myself. Charles Gambino, Issa Rae, like Drake, Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, Ryan Coogler, like them, like those people, like Logan Brown and like, they're young and they're making it happen, right? And I feel like I want to be the cartoonist in that whole black renaissance of young creatives. And so they inspire me like crazy. Like when Charles Gambino dropped This Is America. Now I've been a fan of Charles Gambino like since he dropped the Camp album years ago. And I've always stayed, you know, in track when he did Camp, who was writer of 30 Rock, when he jumped on the show Community. Like I've always followed him and to see his path and where he went to. So those people inspire the hell out of me. And then when it comes to comedy, like Dave Chappelle, like Dave Chappelle is always going to inspire me to, to keep doing work. And then Will Smith. Will Smith has a thing about uh, treadmills. You ever heard him talk about treadmills? Yep. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He goes, you, you, say, you can be better than me, you can be more talented than me, you can be faster, stronger. However, you're not going to outwork me. If you put me on a treadmill and you're on the treadmill next to me, you're not going to beat me. I'm going to down that treadmill before I stop. And that right there, I've, I've always kept it in my head and always kept like, that's what keeps me going to make sure that I'm going to make it to the top. Yeah, I'm glad you spoke about Charles Gambino. What did you, your take on Atlanta? Did you get a chance to watch it? Atlanta, I'm a big fan of Atlanta. I think that's genius, genius. I think the first season was like, okay, it's getting this groove. It was funny. And then the second season, they just, like, nothing I've never seen before. Like, um, I think the episode when they went to that uh, pajama party, that one, I thought that was, like, one of the funniest episodes I've ever seen. The barber, because barbers are like that. I was like, that was so true. The barber episode and then the Teddy Perkins. Is it Teddy Perkins? <laughs> um, I'm not sure, but, yeah, the barber episode was hilarious. The barber episode was the funniest piece of work I've ever seen. <laughs> like, you see, you being a woman, like, you don't, like that, that barber experience is real, where your barber is always doing all other kind of shit. And not I, cutting your hair. I have issues with our hairstylists, trust me. They're not <laughs> oh, the best. Okay, okay. <laughs> Top it is. We've been there for hours. So trust me, I know. <laughs> yeah, I'll be walking in. I'm like, oh, I'm next. I bet. And then once he's done, he's like, yo, I'm about to just order some food real quick. Give me like 10 minutes. And then it's like 40 <laughs> minutes. Just sitting down eating like rice and peas. I'm just like, is this? Are you dead ass right? I'm like, yo. But I, but I need him. I, I need him. <laughs> Worst part, like when you be in the chair, you got the smock, you got the neck strip, you just sitting there like this, and he's just eating and talking. You're like, hey man, like I got somewhere to fucking go. Like I don't know what reading <laughs> this is. Like I got fucking shit to do. Yeah. And it's like you can't you can't come at your barber like that because that's the dude who makes you look fresh. Like he can fuck you up any moment. So yeah. your life is literally in your barber's hands. <laughs> like literally. So my barber, he actually retired to start driving Uber because he was making more money. He's so that, emotional that, about that, this that, shit. That was like the worst day of my life. It's never been the same since then. But I used to get so annoyed. I'd be in the chair, then his girl would call him, or one of his many girls, say, <laughs> hey, baby, what's up? And I'm just like, bro. And he would just be on the phone just talking and just like walk away. I'm like, you are so lucky you keep me looking good. Like, but I'm looking around at these other barbers like, yeah, I just want to cheat on you with someone else, but I yeah, you just can't. <laughs> the worst part is like when you get a haircut yeah. and there's somebody talking to your barber, and so your barber's always like, he keeps talking like, yeah, yeah, and, and your hair's getting hit like this. <laughs> like, hey, 
dude, get the fuck away from here so he can finish my haircut. Like, this shit isn't cool. Like, this haircut is taking an hour because you won't shut the hell up, you know? Yeah, so. that's great. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so what separates you and your work from other artists? Like, what? how would you describe that? Um, I would say my art, when it's not my comic strip, it was like my actual art art. It's almost like I call it like a cartoon realism in a sense where it looks, yeah, it looks cartoony, but it looks like realistic also, like that kind of thing. But I definitely would say what separates my art uh, when it comes to my culture is my humor. Um, I don't believe that, I say it all the time, I say I'm not the best artist. I say it all the time. Like I'm always trying to give shout outs to other artists or support to other artists because I do feel guilty that um, I have a platform and my platform is blown up. And I see all these other great artists and they don't get the shine that I'm getting or the recognition that I've received. And I feel like they deserve it way more than I do. Um, so I feel like it really is my humor that takes over. And that's the reason that makes my art, uh, um, I would say, resonate with more people or make people um, more attracted to it than maybe uh, other artists out there. Um, so I know you speak about different projects and stuff that you have going on. What is your day to day schedule like? Man, still trying to work. I like. Li I literally just moved to LA. What is today? Um, today is what Thursday. Yeah. So I moved to LA not last Tuesday, the Tuesday before. So I've only been here for like a, a week and a half. So yeah, uh, in my apartment. So I'm still trying to get my apartment together. Um, I got like. So target, I got like. Target. You said what? You got your toys, so you got a good start. Oh, I'm sure my crew was with me. Come on now, my boy Ralph. <laughs> Bimo, Mickey, yeah, that's my homies right there. Like, I've had this stuffed animal since I was one years old. Wow. That's that, and they still look good. Yeah, never been washed. He's never been washed. <laughs> I love it. He has all kind of bacteria. Who knows? All the but, like, this is like the Ninja Turtles what inspired me to draw, what inspired me to get into art. So, okay. that's I'm around, yeah. Um, but, yeah, my day to day is kind of hard to say because. I'm still kind of getting adjusted to my schedule out here, but one thing that I realized, like I haven't been doing the last couple of months, I haven't really been able to draw. Like I've been drawing my comic strips, but like I was sketched out stuff, but I've never been able to finish my artwork because I've been so busy with everything's going on. I finally feel like I've got back into my groove where I've been drawing. Like I've drawn more, it feels like I've drawn more in the last maybe like three days oh, than wow. I have like the last month, oh, wow. which is insane. Yeah. yeah. And, so that's my schedule, at least wake up in the morning, get to my art table, sketch out some stuff, maybe draw for about an hour or two, then work what I need to work on on my computer, and then still trying to find a groove, okay, how do I put other people's projects within that schedule as well? So I can't really say right now, but definitely really starting to find that groove that's gonna make me more productive. And whatever I can do, this is one thing I tell, I tell people, I become so busy, and I was on the phone with my, my line brother talking about this yesterday, and the fact is, he was like, if you look at my social media, it seems like I've became like a superstar. Like I've, I've stopped caring about the people and the people who brought me up and started caring about being more like of a celebrity in a sense. And I had to tell him that because the reason being, because you haven't really seen any artwork dropping from me. The only thing you see is my comic strip. And I had to tell him is that I've been working on projects that people can't see. Like uh, I was working on a project for Will Smith's Facebook uh, TV show, right? And I was going back and forth and I finished the artwork, but I couldn't drop it because I needed 
Will Smith to drop it first. It never dropped. So there's no proof of showing that I've been working on it. It just seems like I've been flying around doing other stuff besides art. Like I'm finishing up somebody's comic book right now. I can't drop that work. So it just looks like I don't care anymore. I'm just doing what I want to do. And I had to tell them that with me being so busy, I have to find ways in order for me to continue doing this artwork and doing productivity and giving the art to the platform that brought me to where I'm at. And, and I've been told out here through meeting multiple people that now that I'm out here, I'm going to have to work five times harder than I've worked before. And I have no problem with doing that. The only issue that is just me. I'm creating everything. I'm drawing everything. I'm coloring everything. And with that being said, like I can't work harder. I have to work smarter. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's my only thing. Yeah. yeah, I can work five times as hard, but shit, I may get the same results if I don't have the same amount of time. So I have to learn how to be efficient. I have to learn how to change up things. On my social media, I'm changing up the way that I'm doing my comic strips. I'm not going to be dropping full-fledged comic strips you can swipe through. I'm not going to be dropping videos all the time um, like I was trying to do before. I have to find a different way of showing, okay, I can do my comic strips, and then how can I show that I'm doing my artwork as well? And that's what was lacking with me just showing my comic strips on there. It, it felt like my page was just becoming a page about this comic strip of this guy going through situations where my page is really me trying to show off me being an, I'm an artist. I also do comic strips. I do cartoons. And that's how I get a lot of my notoriety. Like I got a lot of my notoriety, like the Childish Gambino, this is America art. Yeah. That, that put me on the map. Yeah. You know what I mean, the, the IGTV video um, that I did, um, that got me a call from a producer to uh, jump on something else. So it's kind of saying that I have to continue to, to show my creative side and like I just have to be smarter about how I do it in order to get the projects done. Nice. So we're really big on like self-care on our show. So yeah. what type of ways do you promote self-care for yourself, whether it's like yoga, meditation, um, exercise? How do you maintain that for you? Well, early this year, I went on a, on a really intense detox for like six weeks. Pretty much I was eating nothing but fruits and vegetables, mainly fruits. I lost like 15, 20 pounds. My whole family was like, you get too skinny. We need you to eat. Eat something, please. Like, like my mother would get Chick-fil-A and I'm like, I'm not eating it. I'm like, she's like, please eat it, please. I'm like, nah. So I started actually watching more of what I eat. Like I, um, I don't, I, I rarely eat sugar now. I haven't had um, a sip of alcohol since October um, of last year. Like I try to eat more salads when I wake up in the morning. I try to eat like my breakfast is mainly trying to be fruits and whatever kind of like healthy like snacks that I get from like the store or whatever. Um, like more like say like when I'm trying when I when I do eat chicken and things like that, I do try to get like where it's the grass fed kind. If I am eating pasta, do you have I'm trying to get like wheat pasta, you know, brown rice. So I, I do try to eat better. I can't say really when it comes to like products. I, I use Jack Black soap now because it doesn't have like any sulfates or whatever the word is that's in there. But really, my self care mainly comes from my diet. My diet has changed once I learn more about it. Oh, I don't like using um, medicine anymore either. I try to go more natural. Um, yeah, I definitely try to go more natural. Like my parents, when I was moving out here, they're like, take some antibiotics because you get sick. And I was like, I don't want antibiotics. I do everything natural now. And then <laughs> I get to LA and I look at my bag and it's like, uh, one of the compartments is full of antibiotics. I'm like, look at this shit. Right. 
<laughs> like, I, like they just snuck it in there without me looking, like that kind of stuff. But everything I try to do, I try to at least everything healthy that of what I'm taking inside my body. That's pretty much it. And, and I'm trying to get back into exercise, and, and that's me trying to find my routine of uh, how to make that work again. So when you came into that, like that's a huge change. Like yeah. what prompted? Was it because New Year, New Me type thing, or you was just like, this is something I really want to do to kind of move things along? No, I actually started doing this before the new year started. So I've always talked about getting off of alcohol um, for a while because my father, um, he had a kidney failure and he went through dialysis. And the thing about it, my dad never had, he, my dad doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink, he doesn't eat sugar. And the fact that this happened out of nowhere, we don't know why it happened, or it just is a mystery. And um, I've always felt like, okay, I do want to kind of, slow down on drinking or give it up altogether when I turn 32 and I'm 32 now. And um, because of that, of that situation, like I want to make sure that if that happens to me and that happens to my family, that at least we're taken care of where somebody can donate something or we could be at the top of the list if we need our own donors or something like that. Like, like luckily, and it's a blessing that my dad, after a couple of years, he had an organ donor and was able to, you know, get off the house. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was scary. It was, it was a scary, scary moment. And so um, I've always thought about that. And then the more I started working and started grinding, I've always heard about eating better and your mind being better, uh, being healthier, getting more energy. And so I just did more research, started doing more research through that. And I just wanted to try it. And I actually started feeling the effects. I think the first week I was like no carbs, no gluten, no sugar. And I felt like my mind was so much clearer and my body felt like so much more energized. So I was like, I'm going to kind of keep that up. Yeah, I think that's really important. A lot of times we're trying to buy like products or things to kind of put on, but really everything starts from within. Whatever you're listening to, whatever you're eating, the thoughts that you're having, like when you start from within, everything kind of just comes out in a, a better product. So, I, and like for me personally, I'm really big into fitness and working out. And the past few weeks, I fell off like with Did just you really? big time. <laughs> Did you yeah. really? <laughs> But, but like, even though like life happened and I stopped going to the gym for like the past few weeks, I tried to be really conscious about in the mornings, I'm drinking my green juices, I'm taking like ginger shots and I'm making sure like, even though I'm not being as active as I was before, I'm putting the good nutrition in because if you're just eating good, that's going to just give you amazing results in itself. So I think you're on the right track. I, I tell people all the time, people say like, how do you lose weight? I say... No sugar, no carbs. You, you take those two out alone, and you're gonna see the, the difference in about a month. You're gonna see the difference. It's gonna actually you're gonna see the difference quicker than a month. Like those are two huge things to take out. Definitely. Yes, this is very true. Definitely. So I'm glad you really spoke to that. We like to switch gears a little bit on our show and talk about social injustice issues, which we're really big on. Yeah. And we noticed that you met with uh, Robbie Tolan. So can you speak to what that experience was like and what his book did for you? And also letting our listeners know who he is. All right, so Robbie Tolan, he's a guy from Houston, and he was um, promised to be like a big baseball prospect. He's our age, and he was shot by police officers right outside his house. Um, he almost died, he lived, and he went through like years of legal issues trying to, you know, get what he, you know, he deserved for the police shooting him, you know, wrongfully. What was so interesting about meeting him is that when I was in Houston, I was a part of this book club called the Dear Readers, um, Dear Readers Book Club. And I remember we were at one of the club meetings 
and he was a special guest. And I remember I was sitting there, it's like a, a, a lot of us in this restaurant, I'm sitting there and we're talking, we're talking. I, I rose my hand, asked him a question. And he was like, I'm a big fan of your work. I was like, oh shit, right? And I, I think this is kind of like doing like the rise of my notoriety when it came to me doing my cartoons. And to, to hear this guy being the guest speaker and me hearing his story and me being like, really like um, um, tuned in and kind of like motivated by what he went through and how you know he, he he kept fighting and fighting and fighting and for him to be like I'm a fan of your work was really really was really fucking dope and think about it that we actually ended up like we didn't realize that we lived like down the road from each other only thing is that I never had time to kick it with him like he would hit me up like hey how's everything going and I would feel bad because it wasn't one of those things where I was like, I don't want to fuck with him. It was one of those things that I'm so busy trying to take care of the stuff that I'm taking care of that my social life was gone. And I just yeah. couldn't just do things that I used to want to do. But man, he's, a, he's a really, really, really cool person, man. Like, um, and he's one of the people that if, if, like, if my platform raises, I would love to see how I can help him, you know, uh, tell his story even more. But I, I think he has good people with him to help him with that. But, man, he's an awesome guy. Awesome, awesome guy. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So recently, the the two officers who shot and killed Stephen Clark, they were not charged with criminal charges. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Were you surprised by the outcome? And like, what would you like to see or do you think would make a difference when it comes to police brutality in America? It's crazy because I really, like, I really was, how can I say it? I thought the officers were going to get justice for that. You know, I thought that the officers were going to get, you know, um, whatever, you know, face time, whatever it was, right? But when they said that they didn't, I was like a fucking corpse. Like, it just surprised me. Like, it just surprised me. It's good to, and it sucks because it's getting to the point that are we ever surprised when something like this happens now? Like, when an officer who does um, do this kind of stuff, like, shoots a young black man who's unarmed, unjustly and they you know face charges for it we're more surprised we're like oh okay oh and that's, and that's sad and it's sad because one first of all nothing against police officers because there's a lot of great police officers i'm cool with a lot of police officers you know i've met police officers who are who are great and awesome but it's just that those those police officers who do that shit make the rest of the cops look bad and it sucks and so now police have become the enemy. So when you have police officers who don't get charged for these, well, we, we feel like these murders they're committed on citizens. And now it's like, we don't have faith in police. We don't have faith in the judicial system either. Because like, they're not, we're not getting our just due. Like they're getting away with whatever they want to do. It's kind of like nobody's here to help us. We have to help ourselves. It definitely hurt on the inside when I, when I heard that, I was like, it did remind me again of um, when Philando Castile, you know, when he got killed. And um, who was the guy who died the day before him? Um, shoot, 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 shoot. Um, is it Sterling? Was it Sterling? The guy who died. Yes, because he was, it was it in the um, parking lot with the cops. It was yeah. Sterling. It was. Yeah. That was in Louisiana, I believe. Yes. I remember. That was like right around the same time. Yeah, it was Sterling, and literally within like 20 hours, you had Fernando Castile. Yeah. And I remember going to work, and at my job, I was the only black person in my department, right? 
and we had maybe like 14, 15 people in my department. And I remember the entire day at my computer, and everybody can see my computer, I'm just watching coverage of all this is going down with the marching and, you know, the people crying and people coming out about this unjust. Like, I'm almost to tears. And I didn't talk to any of my coworkers. Like, I didn't want to talk to anybody today. And I was like, if one of my coworkers come to me and says something to me, I'm getting fucking fired. I'm about to go off. Because that's how angry I was. That's how I hurt. That's how, and I was like, damn near in tears watching all this stuff happen. And to continue seeing this go on and go on, and now that I'm becoming numb to it, it's scary. Because it's almost like, is this the norm now? Um, in Dallas, when the um, that police officer, that woman, shot that young black man in his home because she thought it was his apartment. And the whole time, I'm like, if she gets away with it, what the fuck is going Like, what are we going to do? Like, Save me a crime. Yeah, like, and I'm just trying to say, like, we're not safe anywhere. Like, I don't know if y'all seen the video we had the, 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 the guy, he, um, I forgot what his illness was. He, was. he had some kind of, some, not mental illness or autism. I think he was autistic. I think he, I think he was autistic. Don't, don't mark me. But he had something like that. And he was on the floor with his hands up because he was trying to help somebody else. The cop came, put his hands up, and was like, I'm on the floor. I don't have anything. And they still shot him. Yeah. It makes no sense. Like, it's it's really scary out here, and every time I get pulled over, I'm scared for my life because I'm like I'm, they're gonna get away with it. They're gonna get away with it. So um, like I I really don't know what to say. Like I'm speechless most of the time because I'm thinking one thing and I'm feeling another thing, and those feeling those they don't mesh up with what's right and what's wrong. It's, it's yeah, it's, I, I'm just rambling, but I can't really just put it into words. Yeah, it, it's so bad. Like I had to explain to some of my coworkers who are white. Like growing up, if I'm in a car, just hearing a hearing a police siren or even seeing the flashing lights, I'm just like, oh shoot! Like I kind of straighten up and get nervous, even though I'm not doing anything wrong. It's just like it's been so ingrained. Like like you said, there's not that trust anymore, and it it's sad. It's it's annoying too. I, I remember I went to a, you know how when we throw pool parties as black people, right? We'll, we'll, we don't, no, we don't have to throw a pool party. It can be three of us at the pool. A cop will be called to get us out the pool. Like, y'all, y'all got to go. He's like, we're not doing shit. We're just in the water. It was like, you got to go. It was like, what the fuck? Right? And then I remember I went to a pool party in Houston. It was, it was my homeboy who was black. He invited me to this pool party in his apartment complex. And it was like 80 white people in the pool. And it was like four black people. And I remember a police officer coming through. And me and this black guy, we looked, we didn't know each other, but we looked at each other like, oh, this bitch about to get shut down. Like, this is what happens at pool parties. And there's nothing but beer cans and vodka bottles all and trash everywhere. And the music is blasting. And the police officer comes through and tells them and the, tells the, the people in the water, all right, y'all have fun, and walks off. And me and the black dude said, wait, did you see this shit? Like, we're like... What the fuck? Just like you've never seen. If it, was, if it was nothing but black people, it would have been shut down immediately because it was nothing but white people in the, in the pool. They're like, have fun. And think about it that that out, they don't realize that when it comes to black people, we're so afraid of the police coming that we're not going to try to fuck up anything. Like we're not going to try to damage anything. Where when, it, when I was to this white pool party, they're, th- they're throwing fucking chairs and bottles and shit. They don't give a fuck about nothing. Like it's crazy. It's 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 crazy. It's so interesting. It reminds me of James Baldwin quote when he said, "It's not the black man's job 
to adapt to white culture. It's the white man's job to adapt to black culture. And until they're able to do that and not be afraid of us, nothing's going to change. Period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so 2019 is the year of the documentary. So shortly <laughs> after the Surviving R. Kelly documentary yeah. dropped, they came out with the Leaving Neverland. So the public's been pretty torn between separating the, the art from the artist. So yeah. can you speak to that as an artist? Like, do you think that's something you can do where you can separate the art from the artist and what they may be doing in their personal life? Well, this is a trick question. All right. So one, when it comes to Michael Jackson, I'm, not, I'm never cutting off Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson is such a, a huge part of my life. He brought me so much happiness and joy, and I don't believe the accusers. I'm not saying that child abuse is right. I say if Michael Jackson did it, he should burn in hell for it. I just don't believe that the accusers are being truthful in what they're saying because one of the accusers, um, um, he has a lot of credibility issues when it comes to um, what he's done already in entertainment. And for me personally, it just felt like it was a ploy to get money or a vengeance. And you have other people who have been in situations as young adult uh, stars who have come out and be like, Michael Jackson, I, I hung around him as a kid and none of that happened. Even Macaulay Culkin, Macaulay Culkin was giving us an account about hanging around Michael Jackson. I said Macaulay Culkin's account around Michael Jackson sounds like the, um, the accuser of Wade Robson's account, but sounds like Ray Robson is still a little funk on it, added some sexual allegations towards it. Like, I was like, this makes, it, it didn't add up to me. But um, I do feel like sometimes you do have to cut him off learning that a grown man like to be around young boys that was always a conversation that's a huge problem and i know everybody says psychology around it him trying to be friends who knows people are weird as shit so who knows why i feel like mike is wrong in that situation i feel like the parents are wrong too because why would you even let your little boy be in a room and sleep over with a grown man and you have no problem with it? i don't give a fuck who it is you don't put your child in that situation like that's that's weird like I'm not going. I don't want to be in a, in a room alone with my own homeboys, right? Like I don't. I'm not going to spend the night with y'all. Like I'm in in the, in the bedroom like that. Only time we do that, we're like, ah, right, we broke. We got one. No, we got a hotel. We got two beds. There's three of us. Either somebody got to sleep on the floor or <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure, bet. That's about it. So I think that's weird. But separating the art from the artist is, is really hard. Like R. Kelly, even though growing up R. Kelly's music. Like, you know, it was very impactful uh, for my generation, um, our generation. But it's not like I was jamming R. Kelly all the time. So me coming out of R. Kelly is not a problem. Kanye West, where I won't, like, I'm not supporting any of his new music. Like, I jammed Pablo. I jammed the hell out of Pablo. I thought Pablo was dope. But I haven't jammed it, I don't know, who, know, who knows how long. I jammed Ye when it first came out for about, like, two days. because I thought it was good, but it's forgettable. So it didn't matter to me. But anything that Kanye's bringing out now, I'm kind of like, I, mean, I, I don't want to support him. Like, I don't want to buy any Yeezys. I want to support him at all because of where he is now. However, the music that he created when he had a different mindset, like college dropout, you know, late registration, I can still rock with that. Because in my head, I'm like, okay, this is the Kanye that I knew. This is the Kanye that I rock with. So I won't fuck with his new shit, but I'll still fuck with his old stuff. I'm not going to cut off everything he does. I think well, R. Kelly's case, I think that he was probably allegedly molesting little girls while he was making all those hits. So I think it still kind of puts me in a place where I'm not going to fuck with that music because he was still in that, in that 
that mindset. But if it comes to Michael Jackson, I just don't believe the accuser, so I'm still going to jam his music. Do you think you can separate the artist from the art? Knowing what you know, especially pertaining to R. Kelly. R. Kelly, you wasn't into him, fine. But knowing what you know, do you think you can separate the two? Can you still listen to that person's music and not think, oh my God, they were a part of it, they're accused for that? No, I, I, I can't separate it. I, I really can't. Um, okay. Because like I said, we go back to Kanye, where I think Kanye's mindset back when he created College Dropout is different than his mindset now. And so I can't rock with his mindset now. So I'm not going to, I don't want to support the music that he's created now because of his mindset. Um, but if his mindset was the same, like he was creating the same content, you would still, even, even if he was saying, make America great again, and he was still producing the same content, because Kanye has always been a walking contradiction. Yeah. If anyone has ever paid attention to him. So if he was still to put out the music from years ago, which is quality, and still rock Make America Great Again, will you still be able to listen to him? Because it's about what he's putting out now. It's hard for me to answer that question because he won't be making the same music. Be I mean, because if he, cause think about it, when he did like College Dropout, he did like rate, late registration and graduation. You remember when Hurricane Katrina came and, and flooded uh, New Orleans? He got on television and said George Bush does not like uh, black um Really? And he ever said, yeah. and the realest statement he ever said. Yeah, but then he goes to Trump, who has, it's pretty much like in your face that he's supporting white nationalists, and Kanye is supporting his efforts to say everybody just needs love, right? Yeah. Kanye probably goes to the mental shit, who knows what it is, but it's literally night and day where you're going against a guy, George Bush, who's humanitarian, was doing stuff for people in Africa to support the guy who called Africa shithole country, even though it was a continent, but he called it shithole country, you know what I'm saying? And it's one of those things like, he wouldn't be making the same music because his mindset was on a, was totally different. I feel like his mindset back then when he made that was about culture and, and what we're doing in our experience. And now he's kind of like, love everybody and I love Trump, even though Trump is shown to do some racist shit and say some outlandish things. So again, he won't be making that same kind of music. If he had them, he, I mean, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be saying the same outburst if he had the same mindset that he had when he was making college dropout. Okay, and I'm glad we're speaking to the president, unfortunately. Trump. Or Sheila Hitler, <laughs> as we like to call him. <laughs> um, on our show, we have the 2020 presidential election coming up, and it's a lot of candidates. Oh. It's about 16 Democrats and two Republicans. Do you have anyone that you have interest in in the running, and what are your thoughts on what's going on now with politics pertaining to that? I'm glad you brought this up. So I'm from Texas. Let's go. So, what? Oh, what's with the brace now? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm from Texas, and so I rock with Beto. I rock with Beto, and the reason being because when Brett, Beto was running for Senate last year against Ted Cruz, the way he galvanized the people, at least I know in my area of town, in my city, and just across the, the state, really, he turned a red state purple. And this is a deep red state. He turned it purple. And to see what he was doing, he's so genuine and honest and everything that he did, like he, he resonates with the people. He was the only candidate that I ever heard speak about why it was like he supported Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the flag. Um, and I was like, this is crazy. Like he he said it so profoundly. It wasn't like he was just saying it to win votes. He said it like, this is what I mean in my heart, right? And all the stuff that he was doing, like I was rocking with him so hard that I was like, I want him to be president because He's somebody who I feel like is very genuine and 
he 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 wants what's best for the people. He wants what's best for the nation. The thing is that I don't feel like Beto's gonna win by himself because Beto is he's new to this, right? And there's gonna be people kind of throw him down. And Beto's way too nice of a guy. He's just way too nice. Um, Joe Biden, if he comes to the race, I feel like Joe Biden is the person that we need to rock with. Joe Biden, right now, I feel like it's not about who's best for the country. It's about who can beat Trump. Let's take it there. That's it. So let's know what it's like football. Tom Brady. I don't care if my team doesn't go to the Super Bowl. I just need somebody to beat Tom Brady. Golden State. I don't care if my team goes to the big championships. I just need any team to beat Golden State, and then we'll take it from there. You know what I'm saying? So, so that, that's it. So I feel like a Joe Biden, I feel like we do need a white man, which, which as black people and me being supportive of black culture, I do feel like we do need an old white man to to beat Trump. That's where our nation is. I love Kamala, but I don't think the nation is ready for um, a black woman president. They weren't ready for a, a white woman president. What makes you think they're ready for a black woman president? Right? Unless it's Michelle. And I feel like Michelle's the only one who can win. I, I would love to see Michelle go runs, up against Trump win. in a debate. Like that would be amazing. She would shut his shit down. Like shut shit down. That's the only. That's the only black woman I can see beating Trump. And then the reason I like Joe Biden. I think you put Joe Biden on a ticket. You put Joe Biden as president because Joe Biden. He's not afraid of Trump. He'll go toe to toe with Trump in a, in, in, in a verbal combat. Or he'll just slap the shit out of Trump and Trump gets on the line. So that's why I like Joe Biden. And I think if you combine Joe Biden with um, Joe Biden with either Beto O'Rourke, um, you can combine Joe Biden with maybe Stacey Abrams. I think that's a good one. Or there's, there's another, I forgot her name, but she's a white woman and she was the one who was out in the snow giving her speech that she was jumping into the race. I forgot what her name is. She has short hair. But I like her a lot. And I feel like adding her as well, I think it has to be Joe Biden and somebody else, one of the candidates to win. I don't like Cory Booker. I don't think Cory Booker can win. Um, yeah, I don't think people have enough faith in Cory Booker to win either, even though he's a, he's a black man. Um, but I definitely feel like you do need an old white man to come in there um, to win this, uh, this election. I'm glad you spoke to that. It's about strategy. This is about strategy at this point. It's yeah. chess, not checkers. It's really sad at this point that it's going to be like a roast battle when it's with Trump, but it's going to, I'm not going to lie, I, I can't stand him, but yeah. it's going to be entertaining. And I've never, I never thought I would think about the presidential elections as entertainment. It's good, he, but he turns everything into a soap opera. So now, the, the picture Joe Biden and Donald Trump going head to head. They got, they That's, put, Right now, if Joe Biden runs, they're gonna do the debate on pay per view. It's gonna be like, oh, that's gonna be so good. Uh, so, can you let some of our can you let some of our followers know? Yes. Um, what are some upcoming projects you're working on or events that you'll be a part of? And I know you have a lot of things that have to be under wraps, but anything you can share and let them know about? Spill a secret. Man, you know what's crazy? It's like. One man, I got some pride. I can't, I can't say anything about. 
like one pro like both projects is going to be with me being in front of a camera but i can't speak on them which is going to be really really fun uh, one's going to be really fun if, if i get this project to be really fun um, um but the other projects like i'm working on some stuff damn i don't think i can say any of this shit that's the, that's the hard part there's like a lot of projects i can't say like one project i'm working on with um with I'll just say with Jay Ellis from Insecure, I'm working on one project with him. Um, there's another project that has one of the creators of the Boondocks attached to it that I'm working on. I'm working on my own project, um, which is interesting. So my comic strip, right? Um, I want to create a cartoon. Like that's one thing that's interesting. When I create the comic strip, start getting a lot of buzz, start getting some popularity, and I was like, let me make a cartoon out of it. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna start going to LA and start pitching this shit everywhere. They're gonna see, you know, it's it's doing good. And I remember I pitched this for the, to the first studio, and they're like, "Where's your script at?" I was like, "Huh? Script? What the fuck is script? Like I draw, fucking write scripts." Yeah. And so I learned how to write a script, how to do the pitch, but I had to do all this kind of stuff to it. So I, I was really, really wanting to uh, get my commission to a cartoon. So I spoke to one of the guys who's helped me with one of my other cartoon projects, a kids' cartoon that I'm trying to get out there. Like I've had meetings with DreamWorks and stuff like that, and I was talking to him about the comic strip. He was like. You need to own your pro. You need to own your property. Stop yeah. trying to beg people to take on your project. Instead, own your property, build it up, and have them begging you to to be a part of it. And so the comic strip. So I'm actually going to actually start introducing my the world of my comic strip to everybody. So everybody start getting more familiar with it. And I can start doing more things like with that. Um, I have projects that I'm working on with um, social uh, media influencers. Uh, a, a big, I don't want to say the name Gen 2 actually starts popping. Um, big social media influencer. I think it's going to be a really, really fun project. Um, that's why I said, man, it's crazy. Like, I really, you just can't say everything you want to say. Um, yeah. Like, you, I, I really just can't. And then I, I can show you this artwork that I'm working on with um, the illustration I'm working on that has for the uh, Issa Rae uh, Essence magazine. Like I love the whole photo shoot that Essence did with Issa Rae. So even though I've already drawn Issa Rae a couple of times, I just wanted to do it again because it's so powerful and dope. And I'm still working on it. I don't know if you can really see it too. Can you see it? There you go. Yeah. And so this is just me kind of put like the base colors in there. Still got to do like, more details and the coloring and stuff. But this is something I hope I can drop tomorrow. I'll be done with it, but I'm trying to look. I have my board full of things on there. I got boom, boom, boom. Comic books done working for somebody. Uh, yeah, like I said, a lot of stuff projects is going to be me just dropping more of my artwork. Uh, I feel like that's something that that I haven't been able to do in a while. Like if you look at my page, it's nothing but comic strip stuff. And I don't want people to think this page is about the comic strip character. I want people to see this page is about the creator who created the comic strip and created all the other pieces of artwork. So um, a lot of the stuff that I'm working on um, outside of projects with other people is going to be my own work, my own illustrations, um, kind of showing the different um, art pieces of art that I want to drop on my page um, to get, you know, I don't know, just I was, I'm not even about the recognition, just the fact that I like sharing my work with people. Man. It makes me smile when people smile at the things that I do. I wish I could be more candid about the projects that I'm working on. I just know that I can't. You just gonna tell them to stalk your social media page so they can find out what you're doing. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. A IGTV video. Like I did it, but 
I was like, when I took the picture and I dropped me in the director's chair, and I was like, oh, can I can I say what's going on? They're like, no, we can just put something big coming. But they wouldn't even let me put in detail what the project was about. Like the work I did with like for Will Smith, the cart, the illustrations didn't drop yet. Like I couldn't talk about that. And, yeah. and, and it kind of sucks because if you if you go on my page before, you see I was being consistent, always dropping artwork, but now I'm not really dropping anything, is because I'm working with people now where I have to keep things on the wraps. And you were not able to see it until it actually comes out. Yeah. Okay. But no, that we definitely understand. Sometimes G's got to move in silence and just Facts. let the work yeah. by itself. So, so we're gonna go into a segment that we just recently started called Keys T, where Key just will dive into a topic <laughs> that she feel off. feel passionate about. So <laughs> I'm just gonna let you take it away, Key. All right, great. Thank you so much. So, guys, it's Key's T segment. So, as you know, Jesse Smollett, all the charges were dropped against him, all 16 charges by the prosecutor. Now, there's been some controversy since this whole incident happened, but subsequent it, the mayor of Chicago and also the police chief are very upset and outraged that the charges were dropped. Yet this outrage was missing when it was Laquan McDonald's murder that was covered up by the police department. And when they tried to let the cops get away with it, but, on, but that never really did happen because one of the cops involved is doing time, not as much time as he should be doing. But now President Trump wants the FBI to get involved in Jesse Smollett's case, even though it's basically over. But where was all of this encouragement from the FBI when it was black men being shot and killed by police officers throughout the U.S.? Wait, so was Donald Trump trying to get the FBI involved? Got to get involved in the Jesse Smollett case because he thinks that it is ridiculous and he feels like there's something else at play, especially since now the police chief and the mayor is having additional evidence that they can't seem to put out talking about he staged his own attack, which is really odd. And yeah. it's funny that they're putting so much energy towards this, but where was all this energy and outrage when it was black men being shot by Chicago police officers? They have yet to speak on that. Another good thing that's been going on now is Jordan Peele movie. You guys checked it out. Interview where he said that he doesn't see himself having any white male leads in any of his roles. And I really respect him for that because as we see throughout Hollywood, there's enough white male leads and females for that matter. So to mm -hmm. see black people and people of color actually coming into light in his films and being the lead, plays a huge role in it. And Lupita definitely did her thing in that movie, so make sure y'all check it out. And that's right. Keith's T. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'll be like, it. yo! <laughs> because once I move here, like, I haven't had time, like, I just got my Wi-Fi connected. Remember we have issues with my Wi-Fi, I wasn't able to get my anything set up, my TV just got connected. I, like, I, I love politics. I watch, like, CNN as my reality TV. And I've had a chance to watch CNN, like, over a week. Right, so that's why we said the whole thing about getting FBI. I didn't, I didn't know anything about that. Like that was new to me. Yeah. And I think it's ridiculous. I'm like, yeah. don't you have bigger things to worry about? Kim Jong with these nuclear weapons that you keep making these summits for that he's not giving you any fucking respect. Why are you worried about Jesse Smollett? You know, what I mean, in this case, like, there's way bigger things to worry about. And then I agree with Jordan Peele because I'm the same way, honestly. And it's not a racist thing. The fact that I feel like we need more um, representation. And I, like everything that I create, I either want to star a person of color or it be influenced by African-American culture in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely the same way. I, I, I'm on the Jordan Peele bandwagon 110% on that. So I, listen, I'm going to keep it official. I personally didn't believe Jesse's story. It just seemed a little shaky to me. But once I heard about the Trump wanting to come in and 
The whole situation seems shady to me with the Chicago, the story. I, I don't know. A lot is not adding up. But once I heard what you said about Trump wanting the FBI to get involved, like that got me heated. And I, I normally, like you said, gotten numb to a lot of these things. But the fact that the president feels the need to go hard and say we want the FBI to get involved on this black man who did or did not make a phone call and may have lied or or didn't lie, whatever the case may be. If no one got hurt from this. No one was killed. And you're saying we want to allocate FBI resources to this, but black people are getting killed in the street. And not even black men, black boys, girls, women, And even children. not even at Charlottesville. Find people on both sides. <laughs> he was FBI to, because of course what it is, it's his base. You know what I mean? His base, his base are, you know, um, a homophobic, his base are, I'm gonna say, if you still rock with Trump, you're racist. I'm, I'm saying like, I'm gonna say like, because what will the reason I still rock with him? You're gonna talk about the economy? Cause the economy was actually building up because Obama regime, right? And then the stock market is very, it's one day is good, one day is terrible. The tax breaks didn't help the lower uh, and middle class helped the upper 1%, right? So it's all the stuff that Trump is touting, he's talking about, you know, helping you out and this and that, sending you these false dreams and, and all this crap. I feel like Trump is just doing anything that caters to his base and trying to get the FBI into a um, uh, into a case involving a gay black man. He's just him igniting his base to say, hey, look, I'm fighting for what we believe in and not what the far left is their agenda. Yeah, so true. So I think we're going to wrap it up at that point. And this was an amazing interview. We really Super appreciate dope. you coming on the oh, show. Thank, thank, thank you for having me. I'm glad we are able to get everything situated. Again, it was, it was on my end. It was on my fault. So I'm glad that everything worked out. You want to be a friend to the show? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Callie, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> So can you let our listeners know where they can find you, where they can connect with you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on social media. Instagram is my main page, so follow that. That's where you'll get most of the content, most of the updates. And that is at O-B-R-I-S. That's O-B-I-A-R-I-S. You can go to my website on there. I think my Twitter. My Twitter, same thing as my Instagram um, page. And really on my Twitter, all I do is retweet Game of Thrones stuff. So... It's coming back. It's coming. Yes. Yes. The Wi-Fi setup, so you ready? Oh, hey, my Wi-Fi. I've been, I've been, because I've been doing the Game of Thrones, been watching. I've been able to do it the last couple of days since my Wi-Fi came back on. I've been on it, on it. I am ready for Game of Thrones. I'm honestly looking forward to some Game of Thrones, some images that you might put out for Game of Thrones. Oh. I already have a comic strip for Game of Thrones uh, already ready. I thought about this like two months ago. So, nice. oh yeah, I thought about Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, this is about to go down. About to go down. Lit, lit, lit. So once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. Make sure if you haven't done so already, you purchased that unapologetic ringtone playing silky smooth in the background. For Android users, you can do that at the Tune Store. And for iTunes users, you can do that at the Apple Store. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at unapologeticd underscore. And you can make donations to our Patreon account at unapologetically different. And finally, all our shows are available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and now Stitcher by searching unapologetically different. Stay tuned for our next episode, guys. Bye.
Ah, ah. Isso. Ah, eu vi. Sim.